0: Can I just begin by saying thank you for your very warm welcome it's lovely to be here it's uh, it's doubly lovely for for us to be here because as as was said at the beginning in fact we were in suffolk for twenty four years and uh, it's really good to come back to suffolk um, and we 've got Real links with Ipswich, both Tony obviously through Thurston. I taught at Copleston for many years, and it's 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 really good to be back here. So, so thank you for your welcome. And uh, it's wonderful, isn't it? You you can come to a to a church, and probably many of you um, we don't know. Um, I ha- you know you won't probably know me, but immediately because we we have this bond, because we are all one in Christ. There is that unity and that love that throws from it. So thank you very much indeed. It is a privilege to be here with you. Um, I hope from some of the songs that we've sung this morning, you'll begin to pick up a theme. Because I want to dwell this morning particularly on that wonderful psalm, Psalm 51, that we had read to us this morning. I don't know how much television you watch... One of the, the programmes that really took off um, last year particularly was Strictly Come Dancing. And I don't know how many of you watched it. Um, I have to confess that I didn't watch it that often apart from the final both times. And I have to confess that the reason that, uh, that Tony and I watched it was not so much for the dancing but because there were certain cricketers in the final. Um, and they won! So, I mean, there was a double rejoicing, really. Um, but um, that program really when we watched that final and we saw people who hadn't danced probably before to see them dancing with their partner completely in tune with their partner at one was something which was was quite amazing to see and i think it's it's a very good picture of our relationship with god because if we are truly seeking to know god and to serve him what we're aiming for is that intimacy with God where we're walking, dancing perhaps, completely in step with him. And it's a picture that actually, I think if we're honest, all of us find very difficult. I don't know how you're feeling today, but I'd like us between God and ourselves to be really honest It may be that you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling really great. Life is good. God's very near to you. Perhaps as near that you could feel, you could almost touch him. And you're really praising God for that. But you may not be feeling like that. You may be sitting there and in some way it's all going on round you. Perhaps you even feel you ought to be feeling like that, but actually you don't. Perhaps you're just going through the motions, but that intimacy with God isn't something that you really have. Perhaps you've had it in the past. Perhaps you've never had it. Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, well, what's wrong with me? You look at the person next to you or or somebody singing out at the front and they seem to have something very special and you haven't got it. Well, is it because it's my fault? What's wrong with me? Or maybe we're here and we've never known that experience. We've never known that God is there for us. But I want to say right at the start of what I want to say this morning, that actually There's one sense in which that doesn't matter. When we sang right at the beginning of this service, we sang, now is the time to worship. But did you notice that other line? Come just as you are to worship. We don't have to put on false airs and graces. God knows where we are. And are we perhaps longing for that sort of intimacy? How do we get it? Well, I'm not here to give any pat answers, because I don't think there are any. I think we're all on a journey, and I think we're all very different. And yet, I do believe that we're all searching for that intimacy, if we're honest. I was very struck by some words I read a little while ago by a consultant psychiatrist. He wasn't a Christian, and he wrote these words. After 20 years listening to the yearnings of people's hearts, I'm convinced that human beings have an inborn desire for God. That's quite something from someone who wasn't a Christian and who was a psychiatrist. And listening to so many people's strugglings, he felt there was that inborn desire for God. So, how can we know that intimacy? Well, I think a wonderful starting point is Psalm 51. I just love this psalm. Many of you will know that it was written by David, but it was written at a time in his life when he was very low. We've talked about David already this morning in the story that that Tony talked about. And David was an amazing man, He was an admirable man. He was a man's man. He was attractive to women as well. He was a man of action. He was generous to his foes. He was a dispenser of justice. He was a loyal friend. He was a worship leader. 73 of the Psalms were written by him. He led a nation at a time of outward prosperity and religious fervour. And he made Israel to be a bright, shining light for the God of Israel. In the New Testament, Paul describes him as a man serving the purpose of God in his generation. What a wonderful accolade. One of the things that we try to do in care is to enable all of us to serve the purposes of God in our generation for the sake of the future. And yet this amazing man, with all those wonderful religious credentials, fell. His intimacy went. Why? I think it went for a number of reasons. And I think if we look at those, we get a clue to how we can begin to become closer to God ourselves. Using the picture that we used at the beginning of dancing... I believe that David fell because he became out of step with the God he served. And that happened because of the circumstances he was in. All had been going really, really well. He was leading his country in in an amazing way. And then he became lax. He became lazy. We all know the story, probably. He should have been out leading his army in a battle against the Ammonites. But instead, he sent off all his generals and he stayed back in Jerusalem. He became lax. He had an afternoon rest, perhaps a sign of his laziness, idling his time away, And he goes up onto the roof of the palace and looking out over from the roof of his palace, he sees a stunning young woman. She is gorgeous. And what happens? He doesn't just look at her and have the wrong sort of thoughts about her. He actually puts it into action. He asks for her to be brought to the palace and he begins a relationship with her. The result of which is that he finds that she's pregnant. And then it goes from bad to worse. Her husband comes home from the fighting and he calls him to the palace and makes sure he doesn't go home so he doesn't see his wife. And then many of us know the story how he ordered that her husband should be placed in the fiercest position of the fiercest fighting so that he's killed you can't get much lower than what David did. Just to remind us, this man of God, serving the purposes of God in his generation, a worship leader, and yet he stoops not just to adultery, but to murder. And yet it's at this moment that he writes this psalm. And I believe that actually... It's at the hardest times that very often God teaches us the most wonderful lessons. We're going to, a bit later on, sing a a song which I, I really love. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful. But on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. We're forced back on God when we're at our lowest ebb. I think when things are going well, sometimes it's very easy to forget God. In my work, sometimes I have the real privilege and joy of meeting some amazing people. And a couple of years ago, I met a lady who some of you will know, some of you who are younger, perhaps you won't know her so well, a lady called Johnny Erickson Tarder. Johnny Erickson Tarder was um, an amazing athlete. She was a, a swimmer and a diver, and at the age of 18, she dived into a swimming pool with not enough water, and she broke her neck. She's now 50. I was actually with her on her 50th birthday. She is a a multiple paraplegic. She cannot do anything for herself. She's she's in a wheelchair, and the first time I met her, I thought, you know, how how am I going to talk talk to her that it doesn't seem patronising you know do I kneel down to the level of the wheelchair do I, I look down on her what do I say I was privileged I was due to meet with her we were doing a tour around the country with her and I was due to meet with her for about an hour to talk about the tour we actually spent three hours together and I can honestly say she was more blessing to me than I think anyone I've met There was a woman who could do nothing for herself. And do you know what she said? I thank God every day that I'm in this wheelchair. And I thought, did I hear that right? She said, the reason I thank God, and this wasn't a woman who who was just in a wheelchair and thanking Job. Nearly every day, she was in extreme pain, She said that when her nurse comes in to help her to dress in the morning and clean her teeth and wash her, she said she barely has the energy to smile at her. And she said, I have to borrow Jesus' smile. Isn't that lovely? And she said, the reason I'm so pleased that I'm like this, and I thank God for it, is I cannot get through my life without him. Whereas probably most of us We rush out of the door in the morning, we're very busy, we might forget to thank God for the new day. Her injury has pushed her back into God and she can't cope without him. David's purity went because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But look how it comes back again as we look at this psalm let's just look at how it comes back. First of all, David recognises his sin for what it is. He recognises that he is the person who has committed this sin, not somebody else, it's him. And yet the psalm begins not with someone grovelling and feeling sorry for himself and blaming somebody else. It begins with the most lavish, expression of the unlimited grace of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, your great compassion. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Here is an expression of a heart overwhelmed by shame, humbled and broken by guiltiness. Yet he's saved from despair, through a penitential faith that puts his trust in righteous judgment. Look at the words he uses. He heaps them up again and again. My sins, my transgression, my iniquity. Not blaming anyone else. He's not blaming circumstances. He's not blaming Bathsheba. My sin is ever before me. He feels he's turned against God. Against thee, thee only have I sinned, he says. And then that impassioned plea for cleansing, heaped up again. Blot out, wash me thoroughly, cleanse me. And look at verse six. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. It's back to what God looks at again. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. God's mercy. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. As David seeks forgiveness, his soul is kept from turning away. As he receives forgiveness, he's bathed and cleansed and he now desires to partake in God's holiness. Look at the positiveness here. We can miss true intimacy with God if we don't accept that we need to be forgiven. But I also think we can miss true intimacy with God if we hang on to those sins and the feeling of guilt that we have because of them. God has washed us clean, completely. It actually doesn't do justice for his forgiveness if we keep in the wrong way hanging on to that feeling of guilt. By his Holy Spirit's presence, he pleads for a restoration of the joy of the salvation he used to have. And that joy comes back. Restore to me, in verse 12, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And he then overflows with praise. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. He is cleansed, he's full of joy and his intimacy comes back. Our intimacy comes back when we're honest with God and honest with ourselves. So David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I think the reason as well why David lost that intimacy is that he wasn't listening to God or spending enough time with him. A relationship has to be cultivated. David had become lax. I think we talk a lot, don't we, about praying, reading our Bibles, taking time with God. I wonder how important prayer is to us. We're told that there are great warriors of prayer. George Muller, each day for several hours he prayed to God. Bishop Andrew allotted five hours a day to pray. I wonder if we were up praying for three hours before we came to church this morning. I wasn't. And you see, that's the problem, isn't it? We read these stories about people who are amazing prayer warriors, you know, hours and hours in prayer. Do you know, if I'm absolutely honest, and I hope this won't be taken in the wrong way, I sit down to pray and within five minutes my mind is thinking about something else, We've got to cultivate a way of talking with God that is right for us. I've found a solution for me. I've found that if I walk, I can pray. And very often, I will actually take time in my day to walk from the station to where I work, or to walk back to the station. And I can use that time to pray. It comes easily then. We have to find that way that's right for us. And that intimacy will be there. We need to see the world from God's point of view, not from our point of view, to shift our perspective. Our prayers raise us beyond the level of the petty if we're truly praying. So we need to take time to be with God, to be in the right place at the right time. But, you know, I think our intimacy sometimes goes because we believe Satan's lie. What do I mean by that? I think Satan is very good at telling us that we're not worthy. Somebody else might be, but actually we're not. God may be calling us to something and we say, but actually I'm not good enough. It's so and so. Just think who we are, really. Who we are in Christ. We're very special to God. Even the hairs of our heads are numbered. For some of us, we've got more than others, but God knows us in that amazing, intimate way. Peter, in the New Testament, in one of his letters, says that God has given us all we need for godliness. We don't have to work it up ourselves. God has given it to us through his divine power, and he's calling us to serve him. It's very easy to think we're not good enough, but you know what? I think that denies what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He has taken all our sin. He has made us worthy. And even more than that, God looks on him. He doesn't look on us We mustn't believe Satan's lie. And then I think we need as well to make some conscious actions in our lives. We sang earlier on that we gladly choose you now. And there is a sense that we have to be proactive in our decisions to serve God, and to know him better. Paul writes in Ephesians, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, of course, we can't make ourselves holy in that sense. We're not saved by works. But I think we do have to, as we begin to deal with our sin on God's terms and try to become like him, we have to actually make a conscious decision of our wills to put on that righteousness. And then that intimacy will be closer. I just wonder whether we struggle with intimacy when actually God is saying to us, but it's all there for you. In this psalm we have the wonderful words that a broken and contrite heart is always acceptable to God. Those who seek him will lack no good thing and those who seek God will find him. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, yes, that sounds all very well, but actually, I don't think that's me. I don't think I can really know that intimacy. There's a wonderful adoration part of this psalm in verses 15 to 19, where David says, Open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. We may struggle to know how we can pray like that, but we've got the reminder that actually God's Holy Spirit, when we don't know how to pray, makes utterance for us. This isn't an outward form of religion. This isn't going through the motions. This is our heart being touched by His Spirit, being honest before God. Intimacy is a relationship, as we said at the beginning. But how can we find that way to relate to the omnipotent creator, the God of power and justice and holiness? Is it all just too much? No. Because, you see, God made a way. There's no doubt in this psalm that David talks about his sin and how awful it is. He realised it's awfulness because of who God is, just and holy and righteous and omnipotent, and we should never belittle that. And let's face it, some of the things we've sung about God already today, he could actually deal with sin just like that and blot us out. But when he wanted to deal with sin, what did he do? He didn't do that. He wants a relationship, and so he sent a person. He sent his son, as a baby, tempted just like we are, because he was human, and yet without sin. And yet, on that cross... He knew what separation from God meant. He knew what it's like to feel that God isn't there. And for him, I suppose, amidst all the pain and the awfulness of his death, that was even worse, because no one had been intimate with God like a son with his father. And yet he made a way through to give a forgiveness that's real and lasting. And if we're really trying to seek that intimacy with God that David talks about in this psalm, I'd love us to just think about the words of another psalm. And I'll use an illustration from our work one of the reasons why this psalm is so precious to me is because it's been taken on board by a group of people, a group of Christian people, who've had huge struggles in an area of sin, an area that perhaps we don't talk about very often, but actually for many Christians they struggle desperately with issues in relation to internet pornography. Not a nice subject, but it's a reality. And a little while ago, we put on a a conference to help people who were trying to care for men and women and families who were struggling with the effects of this. And Graham Kendrick, who many of you will know of, wrote two wonderful songs for that conference which he came and performed. The first one was based on the first two words of this psalm. It was entirely these words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my sin and cleanse me from all iniquity. I want to sing it, actually, but I won't. Um, but there was another one he wrote, which the words, actually, I want to finish with, because they're words from another psalm of David, which... I think illustrate what should be our prayer, each one of us, if we're seeking that intimacy with God that we really desire. And they're the words from Psalm 86. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart, that I may honour you, O Lord, my God, and i will give you glory i will give glory to your name forever i'm sure for all of us that's our prayer that god will teach us his ways but notice the end of it i will give glory to your name forever this isn't just about a nice feeling that we've got inside our hearts that we express when we sing here It goes out with us into the workaday world. That we're so touched by the power of God's Spirit and what he's done for us. That as we go out on Monday, wherever we're going, we will give glory to his name forever. And as we do so, that intimacy will return. Amen.